Welcome to the Take the Cake podcast. I am your host, Kate Noel, and I am so happy you're here. My mission is to inspire you to be the best version of yourself by truly honoring what your mind, body, and soul want and need. Here, we talk about everything and anything, wellness, recovery, lifestyle stuff, lots more. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Take the Cake. What is going on? I am here on a Tuesday evening recording this solo cast. Super excited to be back on the podcast. I feel like a broken record. I think I might say that every week. I feel so aligned with Take the Cake recently. I feel very calm and relaxed and motivated and encouraged to continue doing this podcast When I first started Take the Cake in 2020, in January 2020, I really, to be honest, I didn't love podcasting the first couple years of doing it, mostly the first year. I really felt like I didn't know what my intentions were. I was struggling with the technology. I had a bit of perfectionism popping in. I wasn't consistent with the the episodes I was doing, I just didn't feel, I felt insecure. So I have really, I don't know, enjoyed the journey lately. And I feel like I've reclaimed podcasting in a way. Uh, who knows what what happened, but I'm grateful for the journey. And I'm grateful that you're here. And I'm grateful for, that you're tuning in. I kind of just said that when I said I'm grateful that you're here. So Let's do a little life update, shall we? I don't know why I just feel inspired to do a little life update. I am loving my ceramics class. I'm in a college ceramics class. That's right. I'm not in college, but I decided to take a college class, community college class in Santa Monica with my sister-in-law on the weekend. So it's really, really fun. It's so relaxing. The class is from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., every Saturday. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, that's a long time. It is a long time. Every single week, the time flies by. And it's so cool to be doing something where time just sort of escapes you in a way. You know what I mean? It's really relaxing. And I just finished making some pinch pots. And our next our next assignment is coil pots. If any of my ceramics gals and guys and people out there know what I'm talking about? Who likes coil pots? Honestly, I'm so annoyed with the coil pots. I'm still enjoying the ceramics. You know, I'm still enjoying the class, but I'm like, I cannot make another coil, right? It's just too many. So it's like basically coil pots are when you make like a snake, like a roll, you roll uh, some clay into like a snake shape and then you add, like you layer the snakes on to add height to your pot or depth depth to your pot. And then you blend the clay together to make it seamless. I don't even know. It's just a lot of coiling and I'm kind of over it. But that's life, right? You know, you you do, you don't love, let's, let's say my passion is ceramics, which I feel like that aligns with me right now. Okay, I don't like coil pots. That doesn't mean I don't like ceramics. You know what I mean? I don't have to be black and white about it. That's that's going to be my update for, for this time. 
nothing else really new. I'm just obsessed with coaching clients. I love my clients. I feel that my clients are some, I care about my clients so much, so deeply. I care about this work so much and I feel so aligned. Um, and I'm really grateful for that because just like podcasting was in the beginning of my journey of podcasting, same with my whole social media journey of just being like a recovery influencer. I just really didn't know what I was doing. I know I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like intention or purpose behind what I was doing. I absolutely have no regrets of doing that because it's how I'm able to be here today, right? So just because you don't know what you're doing right now doesn't mean you won't get clarity in the future. And I feel like I have proof of that in my life time and time again. Okay, that's my update. <laughs> Let's get into the episode. Today's a solo cast episode. I am going to be talking about losing yourself. You know, when people say, I lost myself, perhaps you are in that boat now where you're like, I am, I've lost myself. Or perhaps you know somebody who is, perhaps you have recently started finding yourself. Either way, this episode is about that life happens kind of fast in day to day where we're not usually in a constant state of reflection. We evolve internally and externally with the world around us. It's not always so conscious. There's obviously days of the year where we're more reflective, like on our birthdays or the new year or any other holiday, really. (laughs) It's interesting to have a day of reflection. Maybe you can relate to having that where all of a sudden you just feel very reflective and it can bring a wave of emotions, both I would say comfortable and uncomfortable at times. I bet you can remember a birthday where you felt really sad. It's like you haven't felt sad for all your birthdays, but you probably felt sad because you were reflecting and conscious of the changes that have happened in your life you feel like maybe life has slowed down a bit and you can kind of see where you're at. And it can be really sad sometimes if you realize that, right? And oftentimes this idea of losing yourself is really scary because life is asking you to go to unknown territory. It's telling you what you've done so far, or not what you've done isn't working, but what you've done doesn't serve you anymore. What you're doing doesn't serve you anymore. It's time to do something new. That's really scary. And that's, it's hard because you don't know when, sometimes you don't know if you're going to feel comfortable and happy again in your life. So people identify themselves through this self-reflection and this awareness of, of the past and the present through tasks that they do, right? What do I do day to day that makes me, you know, identify myself through this reflection? What items do I have or collect? What kind of clothes do I have? What kind of house do I have or don't have? The people in their lives. Do I have a partner? Do I have a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Do I have a best friend? Do I have a lot of friends? So people in their lives, moms, dads, siblings. Also events that correspond So you can identify yourself 
you know, with your job, for example. But how, right? Because one person could say, I'm a doctor. And they could say it in a way that that makes them happy. Like they're really grateful they're a doctor. They're loving their their career right now being a doctor. And then somebody could say, I'm a doctor. Ugh. So that person probably isn't loving their life right now being a doctor. They're not loving that part of their identity. And maybe they're tired or they feel like they're not getting paid enough or whatever it may be. So really it's about your, I think, attitude of where you're at. And I think all of you can relate to this of kind of understanding and relating to yourself so much differently when you're children rather than teens, rather than into your early 20s and then into your late 20s. It's so interesting how it kind of feels really slow. Life feels slow, but it also feels fast at the same time. And I I bet you feel like a different person in a, in ways throughout your life, you know, reflecting back on times, you probably feel like a different person or like that you just had a different life almost. And for me, my recovery facilitated such a difference in my perspective on life and my perspective. It just, it's unbelievable the thoughts I used to have and the feelings I used to have about myself, how I used to relate to myself, the language I used to use to myself and the world around me, how I thought my purpose in the world, like it's all so different. And, you know, when I was a child, I really related to myself so differently than I relate to myself now. Uh, even early twenties to late twenties, that's a big change in my, in my experience. I'm not yet into my thirties. So stay tuned on what happens in the thirties. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, it's just, it's interesting when you just reflect on, reflect on reflecting, I guess that's what we're doing now. So when a very drastic event happens, or even, it doesn't even have to be drastic, even when just an awakening happens from smaller events added up. So for example, some people I think would say, I lost myself when my, I don't know, mom died. That's really sad. But yeah, that's, uh, I guess, something that happens, right? I, I lost myself when so-and-so died or when I lost my house or something like that. And then there's, I guess, another sort of camp of people, which is something I would say I was a part of when it comes to my recovery, my eating disorder, is I lost myself when I, slowly, when I kind of had the realization that my eating disorder was sucking the life out of me, wasn't helping me anymore. It was harming me. And this awakening was, was small and slow and steady. It was a slow burn from the smaller events, I would say, happening. So all the nights of engaging in behaviors and the days all added up together. No matter if it's a drastic event or it's a slow build or somewhere in between, something happens where you have a realization um, you know, moving, graduating, going to a new state, our world, you know, quote, big, quote, small, our world can feel shattered when, when we, something happens or a realization happens and we lose ourselves. We feel lost. We feel like we don't even know who we are anymore. So yeah, that's what happened to me. I entered recovery because I, I felt completely numb in my life. I felt nothing anymore. I was 
on the outside successful and happy and had just gotten married and I was with this guy that I really loved who I'm still with. That sounds like I'm not with him anymore. I still am. And I, I was really miserable. I was engaging in restrictive eating disorder behaviors for years, for almost a decade. And I just, I just uh, one day started bawling my eyes out in the car. I mean, look, I bawled my eyes out a lot in the car, but it was, it was a more of a feeling of, I don't know who I am anymore. And the future scared the shit out of me because I, for 10 years, had been attempting something and trying to cope in a way that I could and and using my behaviors to cope and developing these false identities that my eating disorder valued, right? My eating disorder valued thinness. It valued instant gratification. It valued judgment. It valued isolation. And when you are confronted with that reality that those values are meshing together with who you are and you feel self-centered, you feel isolated, you feel like you have no control, self-control, you need instant gratification it is jarring. And when I started letting go of all my weird and harmful behaviors and actually examining what was underneath, I felt lost. At the same time, living in my eating disorder was not authentic and I felt lost there too. So that's when it becomes existential. And I almost felt like I was fighting for my right to just exist on this earth. That sounds dramatic. If you have experienced any sort of mental illness or addiction and or eating disorder, I bet you know what I'm talking about and you are like, it's not dramatic. Sometimes you feel like you're just trying to find a reason as to like, why am I even here? This existential identity crisis blankets over you and you just feel confused about your own existence. So my authentic identity was lost. It was taken over by my eating disorder, like I mentioned. I was valuing rigidity, control, hardness, distressed, uh, winning. I was competitive. It created a very self-centered part of me. And I'll admit that feels kind of good, right? There's a point, there's, there's a small window, small, I don't know, that's a relative term. There's a window of time where it feels good to have eating disorder values. It feels kind of good to feel special and different and better than somebody else. Also, on top of that, there's this dopamine release when you engage in behaviors for some people. For some people, it feels like the only option until it doesn't feel like the only option and it's hard to change. Some people, it's ritualized. Some people, it's a habit. Whatever it may be, it's uncomfortable. So I thought I would be interesting to explain the stages of losing myself. So this is not rooted in any science. (laughs) Well, there is, I don't know. This is just me going through my experience of losing myself and what that was like. And maybe you can relate to some of these points. They're not really in any specific order, although they kind of are. 
So this is clearly kind of an abstract and loose uh, list. So number one thing that happened to me, the first thing that happened to me um, was surrender of behaviors, surrender of rules, surrender of friends, surrender of my job. I I took a break from my work while I was in treatment. And I stopped seeing a lot of my clients. So surrender to behaviors, rules, friends, work, social situations. It kind of feels like you're giving up on life. And it sucks because you are all of a sudden, you know, you're like, okay, I need to change my my life and I need to recover. And then it feels like you're almost even more restricted in a way because now you have to face all these parts of your life. And a lot of times that is social parts of your life. It's work parts of your life. It's parts that don't even feel related to food and body challenges, but they are related to your eating disorder. That's hard to a hard place to be in. So, I mean, look, it's worth it, right? I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing and recording this podcast episode if I didn't think it was. But yeah, surrendering your behaviors, rules, friends, work, and surrendering those eating disorder identities, surrendering them. Obviously, that's easier said than done in a way. It's not like you can just be like Harry Potter over here and wave your wand and say, I surrender my eating disorder. That would be nice. That would be great. That's not the way the world is. That's not the way recovery works. So surrendering is can take months and years. It can take a while. It can take as long as it takes. It can take days. It can take as long as it takes. Um, you can quote engage in behaviors and quote quote relapse and still continue on recovery, right? And still surrender. So it's not like you get one chance. You get as many chances as as you get, and that's great. The next stage of losing myself was grieving. This is interesting because I actually looked into the stages of grief according to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. So this is the grief stages uh, when like someone d- dies. The first stage is denial. And I want to, again, this sounds dramatic. I don't think it is. I felt like somebody had died in my life and my eating disorder was dying. And it felt like I was losing somebody, like a friend, like a weird, creepy friend in a way. And uh, so denial is the first stage. And this stage is natural. You know, losing yourself is a lot to process. Denial, even though it gets a bad rap, is life's way of slowing us down and allowing us to take one step at a time, right? Denial is telling us this isn't real. I, I, I don't think this is actually happening. And you slowly start to break those walls down and have more and more time. As more and more time passes, denial opens up and allows us to see, okay, this is true. And then this is true. And then this is true. So this stage of recovery looked like my eating disorder convincing me that I wasn't sick enough that I could survive, I could live a happy life, even with the eating disorder. So denial for me was slow. You know, it wasn't like one day I realized all those things were not true. It was a slow burn of, okay, I don't think I can survive like this. I don't think I can actually live happy. And then maybe the next day I would be like, oh, I can survive this and live happy with eating disorder. And then the next couple of days I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. So super normal. The next stage, and I also, I want to know, I don't think that, 
the stages of grief, I don't necessarily think that it's A, B, C, D. Like, I don't think it's one after the other. And I don't think you have to subscribe. You don't even have to subscribe to the stages of grief. I just thought it was interesting to bring up. The next stage is anger. It is normal to feel overwhelmed with emotion when you feel like you are not grounded and your life is transforming. So, you know, many of your once rock solid beliefs about yourself and the world are crumbling. So we often express these emotions through anger, which is commonly felt as we release what's no longer serving us, right? So, so for some reason, humans resort to anger. This is a generalization, but when we feel overwhelmed, we feel we can feel angry and that can be an overarching kind of dominating emotion. I think sadness is well, I'm kind of jumping ahead actually. This can be where we start isolating and feel the eating sort of kind of coming back in. I would say is when you feel angry and upset with yourself and you kind of cut yourself short and say I'm not going to do this. I'm mad at myself. Shame on me for doing this to myself. I wish I could take back time, so on and so forth. Regret. The next stage is bargaining. This, the next stage of grief, bargaining. This stage is often accompanied with a feeling of helplessness and fear of the uncomfortable stuff happening again. In my recovery, I felt like my bargaining was living in quasi-recovery where I would bargain with myself and say things like, I won't allow myself to restrict today if I book this modeling job or I will do better tomorrow if I allow myself to restrict today. Whatever it was, bargaining is definitely something that happens when you're losing yourself and your identity is shifting. Uh, at least for me, it was. The next stage of grief, there is two more, is depression. Oof. This is when reality set in for me. So that's why I said I kind of jumped ahead when I said sadness, but I realized my old identity was not authentic and harming myself and others, but it also felt so good. So the sheer realization of having to quote, start over all while my body was changing really rapidly because, because I had to wait restore, I didn't even recognize myself anymore. And I was really sad, very sad, very overwhelmed. And it's not easy to walk a new path, right? It's not easy to develop trust for your wise and healthy mind if you haven't been listening to your wise and healthy mind for months or years. So this, this sort of depression stage is common when you just feel like, damn, I have to start over or I have to find myself. Like that is hard all while my body's changing and my clothes don't fit. And people around me are awkward. And I feel like I don't want to go out to eat. And I, life, it, life just feels hard. And that's sad. The last stage is acceptance. The last stage of grief, and it's quite nuanced in recovery. For me, this looked like committing to recovery, doing my best to make daily choices that aligned with full recovery on a daily basis accepting that I was going to have days where I didn't do, I didn't challenge myself, maybe days where I felt like I slipped up. I had to accept the fact that I won't look the way I looked in my old identity. I will have to find other ways to cope. And that's something I had to accept. They might not feel 
instant gratification, they'll probably feel delayed gratification. I had to accept that I'll have to emotionally mature. I had to accept that I physically and mentally could not handle my eating disorder anymore. My body was saying no. That was a lot. It was a lot of acceptance. So those are the stages of grief that I think can be related to this. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you can identify one or two or three areas that you're kind of feeling the most right now when it comes to losing your identity and your eating disorder identity and losing yourself. Okay, the next, this is, an, this is moving on from the stages of grief and this is back to the stages of losing myself, right? The, the bigger points. Missing the old me. It is only natural to want to stray back to a path that's clear and predictable. You can miss the person that you used to look like in the life that your eating sort of provided for you. It could feel easier in a way to have a ritual of behaviors. Instant gratification feels good. Slowed gratification. I mean, recovery is hella slow, right? It's slow gratification. And it's not easy to switch from one to the other. I think something to ask yourself when you're missing the old you is, do you want the eating disorder or do you want to be loved? Do you want the eating disorder or do you want to feel purpose in the world? Do I want the eating disorder or do I want an escape from handling my emotions? What are the natural consequences that earth provides for me when I rely on my eating disorder? So just asking yourself, essentially, is it the eating disorder that you want or is it something deeper? I think one of the hardest places to be is understanding who you're not, but still not knowing who you are going to become, right? That's kind of a sentence that describes losing, that describes losing myself and enduring recovery and really enduring the eating disorder. I didn't feel like I knew myself then either. The last stage the last thing I want to mention is realizing that titles, relationships, people, experiences, jobs, whatever it may be, are meant to add or complement your authentic identity and values. So for example, when I first started modeling, I loved doing commercials. I loved acting in them. And I loved the creativity. I loved the motion. And many people told me that, you know, the next steps of modeling, the, the big bucks, where you really want to land is acting, acting in big movies and TV shows. My husband's a filmmaker. Lots of my friends are in the industry. So I started taking acting classes and imagining a future where I was an actor. I took acting classes for over a year. I tried my very, very, very best to quote, get into it. My friends who are actors, like love the theater growing up. They love plays. They love doing self tapes they're so passionate about it. And I mean, I live in LA and so many people around me are so passionate about acting. I did not enjoy any of those things. I made it my life to try and force myself to love acting, but deep down it did not bring out the best in me. I remember taking this really difficult acting class and I was assigned, I was doing a bunch of easier like scripts and my teacher assigned something for me. He was like, you're ready for this. And it was a scene where I had to do a really emotional scene where I had an affair with my fiance and I had to cry. And it was just a big high emotions. I got up on stage and I 
didn't get it the first time and I tried again and I just started bawling my eyes out. I remember the teacher and the students were really impressed and they were like, good job. And I was crying because I realized in that moment that I hated acting. I, I didn't hate it, but I just was not happy making that my life goal. I was pretending all along. I was acting, right? <laughs> and the interesting thing is I look back and I really valued creativity and I valued cre- like mo- like movies and film and video really more so. And so now I'm create I've created a podcast. I created my YouTube channel. I created I create reels and TikToks. So I'm still using that creative energy. So the title of actor didn't serve me. It didn't complement my authentic values and identity. My authentic values and identity are creativity. So the title of actor didn't serve me in that way. But instead, podcasting and doing TikToks and posting videos online does complement my creativity. So that's hopefully made sense that I you know, your titles and jobs and people in your life and experiences, they can be different depending on, you know, the same authentic identity and values. And you can have a really different experience from somebody who values, let's say somebody values, I don't know, kindness. That doesn't mean both of you are going to have the same exact life. You'll have different things that complement kindness. You know, you have different people in your life, different jobs, It can mean many different things. So those are the points I really wanted to make when it comes to losing yourself. I feel like I've been a little bit negative about this idea of losing yourself because it is hard and I don't want to create a space of toxic positivity. I will say losing yourself is really the only way that we can find ourselves, right? So try and reframe this time as temporary. I want you to really imagine this time for you as a space of rebirth. What are things that you love? What are external forces in shaping your current authentic identity? What are internal forces? Who do you want to be in the future? Give yourself time and space to sit in silence, stillness, Time is a beautiful healer. Every single day is new information that you can learn from. It's data. You are limitless. You are ever-changing. You can constantly evolve. Something that is so important to remember is that, like, for example, with my acting, I, I tried something and I ended up not liking it. I don't look back on that time and say, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I'm so grateful that I did it because I learned about myself more. I had an experience and I changed my mind and that's okay. That's good. You can change your mind. You can constantly change your mind. You can have a different change of mind as often as your mind wants to change. And I think just accepting that reality and accepting that this experience of losing yourself is for the greater good of your life. It's for sustainable change. I hope that gives you hope (laughs) and peace. I would encourage you to just seek out help and support in this time, new passions, 
and just trying something different. I think the last thing I'll say is as much as I don't, I feel like there's something in me that's telling me to not say this, but I think there's a bigger energy telling me to say this. You can always go back, right? Like trying something new is interesting. Let's say you're on the fence of pursuing recovery and committing to it. And you feel like you've lost yourself and you feel like you'll never find yourself. You'll never heal your digestion or never get your period back or never, you know, not have an eating disorder, whatever it is. Never break the cycle of addiction. I don't know. I just want to say that you, you have choice in life. You can try, you can always go back. If you try something new, you can always go back. I do not think you will ultimately want to go back, but I think it helps people to take the plunge of just trying to step into the space of finding yourself again and and trying new things. I feel this podcast was maybe a bit all over the place. So I thank you for being here and for tuning in and listening. Let me know, maybe shoot me a DM um, over on Take the Cake Pod Instagram, which I'll leave down below. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And yeah, you got this. Do your best. Thanks for tuning in again. And I just hope that you have an amazing rest of your day. Bye.